Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is the program where we examine the extremes and how to stock our emotional toolbox to deal with the not-so-good days. This show was originally released in 2020. It's a repeat of just such an episode featuring Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Enjoy. Welcome back to uh, the closet sessions of Beyond Well. I'm here with Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hello, Jenna. Hi there. Nice to see you in your closet. Yeah. You know what happened today? I actually had this very strange thought, which is, you know, when this is all over, I'm probably going to miss certain parts of this life. Absolutely. It's the first time, it, the first time that's happened for me. Aww. And it was, it was more about I was coming out of the grocery store and there was an old woman and I just like the first impulse I had was to drop everything I did to help her. I just noticed that having had more time and being in a slower mode really allows me to notice what needs to be done. So I just wanted to start with that. Wow, I'm really starting to notice the positives of that. And maybe it took this long for us to slow down and our nervous systems to catch on that it's going to be okay. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there are things to be noticing about what's working better in this very different context. You know, so for you, if having a bit of a slower life is bringing out more of those qualities that you want to be having, like, how do we incorporate those things once we are allowed to get back to a more normal life? Yeah. Will we ever get out of the closet, though, Jenna? Will we, will we ever <laughs> oh, my God, I need it. Our pillow forts. <laughs> I need out of my closet, I tell you. <laughs> when this is over, do you envision yourself getting a bigger, tiny house? No, but I definitely envision myself getting out of my tiny house for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You'll be the first person to buy a plane ticket. Exactly. So I, I wanted to, because I have been hearing a lot of people who are partners of um, individuals who are suffering from a lot of anxiety and fear and panic. Most of it, my personal friends, uh, it's because they've been impacted so much financially. We covered that last week. But I thought it might be helpful for people to have some guidance around how do you support someone who is really struggling with this pandemic? And I was like, oh, I'll bet Jenna knows what to do about that. <laughs> well, well, the first thing is it doesn't help when we tell ourselves, God, I shouldn't be so anxious or I shouldn't be so worried about this stuff or down. Okay, maybe in the ideal world you, you wouldn't and you do. And mm -hmm. so given that you are feeling what you're feeling, what can we do to help support you? So shoulds and shouldn'ts aren't, are, are really sort of irrelevant when it comes to emotions. So it, is that the question then? What can I do to support you? And is someone who is in such a heightened state of panic capable of understanding what they do want and need in that moment? I think the first thing, that's a really great point, Sheila, because the first thing that needs to happen before you jump in and ask, you know, what can I do to help or worse yet, offer solutions, the person needs to feel heard. Mm. And think about anxiety as being um, like having its own little personality, like a little temper tantruming kid, for example. And the first thing that has to happen is, oh, I hear you. Yeah. I see that you're feeling really anxious. And that's totally reasonable and understandable. So the very first thing that you need to do 
again, you, if it's your own struggling, your suffering that you're struggling with, or a partner or a friend, is you first have to listen and understand what their experience is. Mm-hmm. And so it can be really helpful to say, gosh, it really sounds like you're feeling super worried and anxious right now. Is that what you're feeling? Like check in to make sure yeah. you get it right. Right. And, and then also to add, I can totally understand why you would be feeling that way. Mm. So there's, there's something, this is actually really helpful for me in my therapy practice with clients. It's really helpful to understand that if you had the same context, so if you had the same learning history, the same genetics, and were put in the same situation as your friend is, you would be feeling exactly the same thing. And added history of trauma, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So understanding that even if it's not what you're feeling, it is exactly what they're supposed to be feeling given their history. Mm. And so once you sort of assume the validity of their experience, then you can say, so given that you're feeling that way, do you know what might be most helpful for you right now? Mm. Then you can ask something like that, but you have to start with validation. And if they're, um, if their potential for imagination, especially in terms of self-care in that moment is limited because sometimes it can be when you're having difficulty breathing, right? Um, should you offer things? Would it be helpful if we took a walk or should you just allow them to come up with that uh, list on their own? I think you can offer things, um, but I will I will have caution about that because I do think that that's our sort of go-to instinct is yeah. to offer solutions. Sure. And so I really encourage people to focus on talking about the person's feelings rather than talking about the content of what it is that they're worried about mm-hmm. or offering solutions. You can get to places where you say something like, gosh, I don't know if this would be helpful for you. For me, it has been helpful to go for a walk or to um, you know, do some distracting or to meditate. Do you think those things might be helpful? Mm. You can ask something like that, but but really... You want to be really slow in offering solutions. Yeah. I also um, want your advice in terms of, I have heard this many, many times that in partnerships, two people are handling the, the vigilance around COVID completely different so that one partner is super hypervigilant and the other is like, relax, I'm taking off my mask. There's no one around while we're walking. Talk to us about that dynamic and what people should do to be respectful of the other person's level of anxiety and hypervigilance. Oh, I love that you made that point and that you said it in the way you did because it it really does happen in partnerships where one person can hold all of the anxiety or worry or kind of planning for the relationship. Hmm. And the person who's in that more chill place you think that the thing that's going to help your partner relax is to say, Hey, why don't you just relax a little, you know, check with your experience. Does that ever help? It sure doesn't, (laughs) sure doesn't help in my relationship. What actually can help is if you hold some of the anxiety or worry, 
Mm. It can allow your partner to say, oh, I don't have to be the only one that's thinking about these things. Wow. That's a beautiful, beautiful, compassionate sentiment. Yeah, share some of the share some of the worry load. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, how about I know that we're that we really need to think about our finances. How about these are some of the things I'm worried about. Maybe I can be working on those things for us. Something like that. So wow. just sharing the worry load. I love that. It it also gets back to these kind of predetermined roles about who we've been in relationships. So if it's the strong male who's always there for a more emotional uh, woman, and and suddenly it's the male who's like, "This is freaking me out. I am really in a in a bad place." That shock to the to the relationship is big. Absolutely, people are outside their comfort zone in sort of who they've become in their relationship. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. And being able, we talked about this last week, even with your partnership, Sheila, like being able to be flexible in our roles in our relationship and allowing, like, sometimes I'm going to be the one that's struggling more. And sometimes my partner is going to be the one that's struggling more. And to just check in with each other to see sort of how each of us are, are doing. Um, this is such, such an interesting topic to me because there's a certain point at which you can't help your partner and it might require some outside assistance. And this is the delicacy of suggesting therapy or outside counseling. And a lot of people that I know have been told, you should see a therapist, which is <laughs> exactly the opposite yeah. of ever what you want to do to try to encourage people to seek therapy. Right? Exactly. You yes. should see a therapist. <laughs> Like it's the worst possible punishment you could ever have as a human being, right? Like, like you're so broken, you are so messed up that exactly. I can't handle you. You need professional help, right? Yeah. So let's Not talk helpful. about ways to ha- to bridge that conversation that might be a little bit more compassionate. I do think there are absolutely times when it would be the kind thing for the person to be able to talk with a professional, whether that's therapy or some of the other professional supports that are out there right now. And so I think the time to do that is when, if you're going to have that conversation with your partner, when you're in a place of kind of calm and more compassionate and loving feelings towards Mm. your partner, not in the midst of when you're feeling overwhelmed. Or in the middle of an argument, right? Oh, God. Oh, definitely (laughs) not in the middle of an argument. Yeah. Yeah. And, And this is one of the things I'll often say to people, and I have to remember for myself, what we do and what we say isn't nearly as important as how we say it, Mm. meaning not the exact words, but the the values, the qualities that we bring to the conversation are way more important than actually what I say. Mm. So I might be telling my partner the same thing. Hey, I think it would be helpful if you maybe, you know, called a therapist. But if I'm doing that from a place of love and compassion, as opposed to from a place of either fear you know, I'm afraid for my partner right. or frustration. It's just going to come out totally different. And so very concretely, what I would suggest is you taking 10 minutes before you have this conversation with your partner and do whatever your version of sort of centering is. For me, it's a loving kindness meditation where I just sort of like picture my partner at his best or my loved one at their best and mm. who I would want to be for this person that I love. Right. And then once we have that 
social safety system is sort of the, the biological term for what's getting activated. Once we have that activated in our system, just our whole demeanor is going to be different when we bring up that conversation. Do you mind doing a little role play there? Um, I have been not sleeping and I'm impulsive and I'm uh, erratic and I'm really um, discouraging the kids because I'm never in a good mood. Um, yeah. You're the partner who is saying, I'm noticing these things. Mm -hmm. Do you point that out, what you've observed? Um, yes, but again, from a place of love and kindness. So I might say something like, honey, would it be okay if we talk for a little bit? Choose a time where your partner is maybe in a, a better space, not when she or he is sort of frazzled. And say, one of the things I love about you is what a great dad, mom, um, partner you are. You are usually so kind, and I love that about you. And I know that that's important to you. And so I'm concerned because I'm seeing I'm seeing you act in ways that I know aren't the real you. Mm. There are times when I'm seeing you be more impatient, or you're not sleeping much, and you know, I love you. And I'm wondering if maybe it would be helpful for you to talk with somebody about that. Something mm, so like that. Good. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And would you have already done the research in terms of the availability of people, what your insurance might cover, how you would plan to work that out, especially giving, given the quarantine conditions right now? Would you have done that work Prior? I, I would have done that work because what you don't want to do is you don't want to suggest, hey, why don't you go to therapy and yeah, one more, and, one more thing they have to do when they're exactly, already yeah, exactly, really, yeah, that yeah, makes total sense. And do keep in mind that um, most therapists are seeing people on telehealth now, and most insurance companies are covering. This is different um, since COVID. Most insurance com companies are now covering telehealth therapy mm. um, the same they would for in-person. And if you are not in a position to be able to pay for your copay or you don't have insurance, I know a lot of therapists are doing sliding scale, reduced fee services. So absolutely feel free to ask about those things. You know, it's been interesting to me, Jenna, just, and, and I found this when my late husband was going through his mental health crisis, because we do, we're not taught how to navigate the mental health system. And it, it's not as straightforward as, you know, going to an emergency room and then you get a specialist for whatever is happening to you, right? So absolutely. walk people through the steps of A, how to find a therapist, B, how to determine if that person is right for you, and, and C, what you should do in terms of trying it out with that person at least the one or two times. You know, on our website, we can put up a list of the questions to be asking potential therapists as well That's as great. your sort of screening therapists. But basically the step is right now, these days, you're probably going to want to do a Google search for somebody. You can go to your state psychological association. So for us here is the Oregon Psychological Association. And there you can find all of the licensed psychologists that are in your state. And then you want to be looking for certain keywords. My bias is that I think it's really important to do evidence-based practice. So mm -hmm. that is practice that's based in science that we know is effective. So you want to look for terms like evidence-based 
practice, cognitive behavioral therapy, empirically supported therapy, these sorts of terms to know, okay, so this probably is something that science has shown will be helpful. And then you want to get the person on the phone, ask them, are they seeing new clients? Mm -hmm. um, do they take your insurance either in network or out of network? And then ask them sort of questions like, how do you know if you'd be helpful for me or for my loved one? What's your experience in working with anxiety? What's your approach? Mm. Those sorts of things um, can be very helpful. And it's just, I tell this to my client, new clients all the time, I could be the very best therapist in the whole world and it might just not be a great match for you. Yeah, it's like dating in some ways. It absolutely is. And so yeah. make sure that you see, you, you don't stick with somebody just to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> that is just, it really is. It really is. I know many people, especially those who have lost them, employment are particularly concerned about privacy issues around seeking out mental health care, which is a huge concern. So how do you advise people navigate that? You want to make sure that if that is a particular concern for you, that you bring that up with the therapist. I'm really concerned. Can you tell me about the confidentiality, especially if it's going to be telehealth? Also, you need to know that, especially if you are seeing some therapists sort of in your private life, not going through your company, for example, if you're seeing somebody in private practice, that it is illegal for me as a therapist to reveal any information about you except under very limited circumstances. And then the one, one caveat to that is if you do use insurance, your insurance will have a documentation that you saw a therapist and what your diagnosis is. Yeah. And that is some reason why many people choose to not use insurance. Yep. Yeah. And, and you can ask for a sliding scale if you decide to go that way so that you pay a, a much lower rate, but then there's no record of what has exactly. gone. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think you also um, gave a tip once before, and I'm trying to remember how exactly you framed it, but you said to make sure that your counselor, therapist, psychologist knows you don't want a diagnosis that would end up forbidding you from having employment in the future, right? Right. So how do you have that conversation with them about that? So as a psychologist, I have to be accurate in my diagnosing. I can't give some, you know, give somebody a diagnosis that, that doesn't fit to them. Right. But I can know if my client is very concerned about particular diagnoses showing up, I can know that ahead of time. And then what can happen is if that diagnosis is the only diagnosis that would be appropriate, then what I can do is I can talk to my clients ahead of time and say, this would be your diagnosis mm. if we were going to use insurance. Right. Given that, do you want to use insurance? Or there are times when, you know, there can be multiple diagnoses and, uh, you know, it's just sort of helpful to, as a therapist, to know, okay, my, my client is very concerned about this. Yeah. Um, so it's just a conversation that you have with, with your client. I guess while we're talking about this, I also want to put out there that there are resources that aren't kind of professional therapy. So right now, SAMHSA, the uh, Substance Abuse and Mental Health 
Services Administration of the federal government has a free mental health and substance use. Welcome counseling back to Beyond line, Well. I'm Sheila um, Hamilton. Which is confidential. And as we do from time to time, so we love anybody to revisit can call that. We'll have the number on shows. our website. It's like digging and then into a shoebox of, of old photos. Often surprising what you're going to find if you go back far enough. This show, which was the third show we ever presented, was one of our most listened to episodes. It was aired in April of 2019. We were still green and getting our sea legs, you know, but the presentation the well, it's aged pretty well, app, mostly because of the topic, and yes. sex, promiscuity, and love addiction. And as you'll hear, we're not sure exactly what to call it. Our guest, Carrie Cohen, really author of the book Loose Girl, a memoir like, of promiscuity. Enjoy. It's just having a human hear you that can offload the amount of psychological stress we're carrying in our bodies. That is exactly right. And Oftentimes, it really is just about feeling heard, mm. that you don't need to offer the golden solution. It really is about your loved one or your friend feeling heard in this time. And that's what you can offer as a friend. Jen, I'll just this share is a, a good personal spot example to wrap up the first half of our revisit of our show with Carrie Cohen, author of Loose Girl, so a memoir of promiscuity. Next week, days. part two. Wow. Oh, Until then, thanks for listening and but be well. It's, it's very if you get a chance to review us on Apple, iTunes, or wherever you listen, we sure appreciate it. Almost like solitary confinement. Oh, jeez. And so I kept doing what you suggested just how can I help? And is there something that you think you can do or that you need that could be supportive of you? And you know, she couldn't come up with anything, and it was frustrating me. And then a couple of days later, hello, she I'm Sheila Hamilton. Said, welcome back to Beyond Well, really and puzzles. welcome back to our revisit of our show puzzles. featuring it Carrie like, Cohen, author of the book Loose yeah. Girl, so her, a memoir of promiscuity. As we mentioned before, this is a rebroadcast of one of the earliest Beyond Well episodes we ever produced. It may be a little rough around the edges, but we know we were on something, and it's sure fun to hear Carrie talk about her life. It was only four years ago, but it's interesting to see the point of view. And it from which we were looking at it pre-COVID. You know, we've all heard of the golden rule, like treat others as we would want to be treated. And I don't actually like that rule very much. I like the platinum rule, which is do unto others as they would have done unto themselves. And it's like- that might be better. Yeah, like for your mom, getting a puzzle was what was like super helpful. For you, it might be something different. Be thinking about what might just be the little something that could let my friend, my loved one, my partner know, hey, I care about you. Yeah, I love that, Jenna. That's such a great place to stop. Thank you again. And it's always so wonderful for me when I, we get to spend this time together. I love uh, it too. Our closet sessions are brought to us by the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care and Cedar Hills Hospital. And please, if you're enjoying the podcast, especially during COVID-19, give us a thumbs up where you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, Jenna. You're welcome.